Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, opportunity to come together, fellowship, take a break out of this crazy world, and be with like-minded believers. It's very refreshing to be with those who uh, see the same things we do. So thank you for this time. Help us to study well, especially in these areas of spiritual warfare, that we can get this under our belts and be able to uh, apply it and help other people. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we're doing uh, Satan's work now in opposition or in relationship to God, and we do, we talked about that. We talked about then his opposition to these counterfeit programs and religion, counterfeit messiahs, followers, theology, miracles. Before I move on, any more questions concerning the counterfeit? Everything has a counterfeit. We've got to remember. So I get a lot of questions about people that have questions about tongues. And what I'll say to them is that there's a real tongue and then there is a counterfeit tongue. The real tongue is a foreign language that no, that people have not learned. That's what tongues is, is a, a glossolalia, is a foreign tongue that the person did not learn on their own and they're able to speak it, okay? So that's the real version of tongues. So you can see that there's extremes in Christianity. Some extremes will say there's no such thing as that existing now. And the problem is the neuter in the Greek doesn't allow you to do that because the, the, uh, when the perfect comes, the perfect refers to the, uh, the body of Christ being complete. Well, the body of do Christ doesn't get complete until the day of the rapture. So that being the case, tongues does exist, but it exists in a foreign language. So the yabba-dabba-doo, I love you, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, types of language. That's not a language. That's a counterfeit to tongues, okay? So Satan always has a counterfeit. So I can tell you this, based on if you follow the rules of Scripture, because Paul says do not forbid tongues, and you follow his rules, it pretty much eliminates about 98% of what they think is tongues out there in the world today. Okay, that's just, that's what it happens. So if you go to a Pentecostal charismatic church and they're yabba-dabba-doing, that's a counterfeit. And that yabba-dabba-doing is actually seen in the occult and in Satanism and in witchcraft and all forms of paganism. It's there. So I hate to burst people's bubbles. I'm not a, 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 I'm not a Calvinist uh, over here saying uh, the gifts are, have ceased. But I'm, I'm saying that you better interpret the gifts correctly. And it's not over here where you have ecstatic utterances. So there's a counterfeit. Now, why would, why would Satan counterfeit the gifts? It's to throw people off. Look what he does. If you abuse gifts like the Corinth church, what was happening by abusing those gifts? They were one-upping each other spiritually. I'm more spiritual than you. You're, you know, because I, I can speak this way or whatever. And, and they were using the least of the gifts to dominate others. So this is where you start having spiritual jealousy erupt into people and them pretending that they're more spiritual than other people. The mark of spirituality, obviously, is obedience. The most spiritual person in the room is the most obedient person in the room. 
It's not based on what kinds of gifts you have. You could actually exercise a gift and be not right with the Lord in many senses. If you have the gift of helps and you're good about encouraging people and you're good about hospitality, that's a gift, but you could be living a double life. Don't confuse the gifts with the person's personal life. That's the mistake people have. So someone will have a great gift and you can see it. It's very dynamic, but it doesn't talk to you about their personal lives. So you have to make sure you understand things on that. So so people will ask, does tongues exist? Yes, it will exist all the way to the rapture. Okay, then what is it? It's a foreign language. So if someone says they have the gift of tongues, they better tell you what foreign language they're speaking. Do they know? Because if they are going to speak tongues, you have to have an interpreter. Now, what they, they say, well, I do it for self-edification, and I speak the language of angels. Well, Paul mentions the language of angels, but what is the language of angels? Do angels have a different language? What are the languages of angels? That's a Hebrew idiom. The language of angels is the language of heaven. It's a Hebrew idiom, and the original language is Hebrew. How do I know? Every angel has a Hebrew name. All the names in the book of Genesis, before Israel even exists, everything's Hebraic. Everything. In fact, studies have been done on the original Hebrew, the Paleo-Hebrew. Most of Almost all of our language today are traced back to the original Hebrew. So the language of heaven is Hebrew. In the millennial kingdom, everyone will speak Hebrew. Okay? Everyone will, be, will do that. The language of angels that Paul refers to in, in 1 Corinthians refers to Hebrew, ancient Paleo-Hebrew. So uh, when someone says, I have a, an angel language, it's like, no, you know, you have to be speaking Hebrew. And how would they know? You have to have an interpreter. So what? So in a church setting, if someone says, I want to speak in tongues, the first thing we would do is say, "Where do we have an interpreter here? And if there's no interpreter, then tongues is forbidden during that worship service because there's no interpreter. If there is an interpreter, that interpreter must interpret that language, and there's no more than three that can speak during that period of time. You can't have a breakout of tongues and everybody speaking in tongues. It's an orderly fashion, one at a time, and each one must be interpreted properly by the person who has the gift of interpretation. Now, if it's not followed, it, sh it has to be stopped. That's why when you go into hyper-charismatic, hyper-Pentecostal movements, and they're going bat crazy in there, and everybody apparently is doing glossolalia, and they're all out of order, that is absolutely forbidden. And I don't know for the life of me why they want to go out of order. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why. I think it's like the Corinth church. So as you can see, there's a counterfeit to even the gifts. And the counterfeit to tongues is ecstatic utterance. Okay? So that there's always that. There's a counterfeit to healings. What do you mean? Well, Satan can heal. Satan, uh, demons can heal. Uh, fallen angels can heal. But it's a counterfeit. They have power and they can do certain things. Um, their, pa their power is limited, how far they can go, what they can do, but they do have certain amounts of power. Like I told you, the lady in Mexico that had the ability, she was a doctor, had the ability to go in and remove cancers and tumors with very little instruments, very little bleeding and very little stitches. 
And why? Because she was channeling a demon that was actually guiding her hands inside the person's body. She could actually make a dis incision, go inside with her hands, and absolutely remove a, a tentacled tumor in somebody without damaging any other organ, organs and pull that thing out because she was channeling a demon. So they do have the ability to heal. Um, they also have the ability to afflict. There's no doubt about that. So the real gifts will be counterfeited. That's, they're called in Scripture, lying signs and wonders, right? The Antichrist will have the ability to do wonders. The, the false prophet called down, calls down heaven from, uh, so, sorry, calls down fire from heaven and all those kinds of things. So there's a counterfeit aspect to it. Um, notice when the false prophet is calling down fire from heaven, what is he counterfeiting? What miracle is he counterfeiting? Elijah's miracle. That's Elijah's miracle, calling down fire from heaven. And, and so you have those kinds of things where it's just a counterfeit of things. Um, so you have counterfeit miracles that happen. And like I told you, the one lady that had the ability in the church of Satan to heal people, <coughs> she said this, what she was doing is lifting the affliction that the demon had already put on the person. And that's all that was happening in that situation. But the people saw it as a miracle. Um, and so be very careful about people saying they have certain gifts. So for instance, if a believer comes to you or anyone comes to you and then says, you know what, God has given me the, the gift of clairvoyance that I can see into the future or I can know your past. I know what you did last night. That's not a gift from God. Clairvoyance is not a gift from God. It is a demonic gift. It is the ability that, that uh, only comes from Satan. So we've seen pastors like the guy like Mark Driscoll who would say to people that he knew what they were doing the night before and what they said in their living room, and he was accurate. But how was he accurate? Because he was channeling a demon. And I can't believe that guy is still in the pulpit. Mark Driscoll, I think, is, is pastoring some church in Arizona or New Mexico or whatever, man. That dude is satanic. And I, I, don't, I don't understand that because he's showing all kinds of signs that he is doing miracles from the devil. It's not from, it's not from uh, obviously, God. So there's counterfeits, right? So before I move on, any other questions about counterfeit messiahs, counterfeit miracles, counterfeit religions, anything like that? So let me bring something to your attention that like, you might shock you. You guys have known about the, the movie The Chosen, okay? The Chosen, by the way, is produced by Mormons. Did you know that? Now, Jerry Jenkins' son, I can't remember his name, Dallas Jenkins is running, but he says that him, uh, him and the Mormons believe in the same Jesus. That's not true. The Mormons have a totally different Jesus. And there's parts in, in, in Lighthouse Trails has a good uh, article. I read it today. Um, and I, I'm going to get those little booklets that we sometimes pass out from Lighthouse Trails about, about the chosen. Because when you start analyzing the chosen, and Lighthouse Trails did a real good job about this, um, they, very, they very much so are bringing out a Mormon Jesus through it, a very human-centered Jesus, you know, you know, you, you got the apostles helping him write his sermon on the mount and just weird stuff like that, telling him what to dress, how to address before he gives his sermon on the mount. And like Jesus is like 
having to really think about like what he's going to say at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he's God, and there he doesn't have to think about anything he needs to think about uh, as far as talking. He just can say it. He knows what he's need. Why would he need to rehearse? Oh, because he's a Mormon Jesus. That's why. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, the, the Holy Spirit who inspired John to write the Gospel of John and said none of the books in the world could contain what he says, apparently we got that wrong. Apparently John got that wrong because that came from Mary Magdalene in the book movie. So what I'm telling you is there are counterfeits everywhere and you have to be sharp enough to spot it when it comes. So when Dallas Jenkins says, I believe in the same Jesus as the Mormons, they're my buddies, uh, he apparently doesn't know theology at all. And, and so, th- again, you, you just need to know that. I don't expect anything produced in any movie ever to be accurate according to the Bible. I just don't. Not these days. They have an agenda. They have a bent. They're trying to humanize Jesus and di- different things like that. And I get it. Jesus is 100% human, but you can't, you can't de-emphasize his deity at the same time. For goodness sakes, when you, when you have a Jesus in, in, the, in the chosen that, that like semi doesn't know what's going on, that, I'm sorry, that's not Messiah. He knew full well what was going on. You know, it, I don't know. It's very disappointing, but it is what it is. But uh, anyway, if you want more on the information on that, Jan did a good program on it last Saturday. Go to Lighthouse Trails. They'll pick up all the issues, but they never can make anything right. They just never can make anything right because it's a counterfeit. Anyway, um, let's move on to Satan's work in the life of the Messiah. And uh, we know that the conflict about between Satan and Messiah was predicted in Genesis 3.15. One thing about Genesis 3.15, if you read it uh, in in its context, it says something very interesting that I want to share with you. And this is Genesis 3.15. Most people don't pick up on this, and I I don't imagine... Most of your commentaries won't pick up on this. Um, here we go. And I will, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman. And there's a reason for that so that this doesn't happen again, per se. And uh, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? So... The, the, the last phrase, he shall bruise your head and, he sh- uh, and, and you shall bruise his heel, that happened at the cross, right? We know that. But what is this, um, but I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What is that a reference to? Her seed and Satan's seed. I will put enmity between the two. So, the, so yeah, so did you say that, Maria? Okay, so Maria is correct. Uh, most commentators will not go to the singular. Seed can be singular and plural. It just depends on the context in Hebrew. We definitely know in context when it refers to her seed, who is that referring to? 
It's Jesus, right? The Messiah, the one that's going to bruise Satan's head, or sorry, crush his head, and he's going to bruise his heel. But they won't take the preceding verse as singular, though. Why is that? If the context is determining that it's saying that Messiah is the singular seed, then why don't people take it as the singular seed of Satan? You see what I'm saying? Because in your commentaries, I know what they're going to do because I've read them. They're going to say, well, these are the, the, the enemies of God, all the humans falling. And, that's, and so they lump in all this big category of people and, and use the plural for seed in that context. But as you can see, if I'm going to use a plural for the seed of Satan, multiple seeds, then it's forcing me to use a plural with the seed of the woman. I have to be consistent in my hermeneutics. So if I'm going to interpret it as the Messiah, I better, have, I better interpret the one, the, the one above it as a singular seed. And who would the singular seed be? It's the Antichrist. So right there in Genesis 3.15, you not only have the crushing defeat that happens at the cross, uh, Jesus over Satan at the cross, but you also have the crushing defeat of the Antichrist by this seed of the woman in the same text. It's prophet, it's prophetic in first coming and second coming in Genesis 3.15. So this conflict is prophesized and it's seen throughout uh, biblical history. So when you look at Goliath and you look at David, that is a picture of Jesus conquering the Antichrist. Because what what what's associated to Goliath's armor? Do you ever read it? What it's saying, the weight of it is, and how many pieces of armor he has, and what's the weight of of, of things. What you start realizing is that when you read it, 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 it adds up to 666 with Goliath. What's coming out of his mouth? He's blaspheming and boasting, right? Same thing in Antichrist, right? David takes five stones and takes one of those stones and sends it into Goliath's head. What is that? Well, it's a symbol. The five stones represent the first five books of Moses. So, so what, what, what the sling represents is basically effect, the effectiveness of the word of God. And so when you look at the typology, how does, how does Jesus defeat the Antichrist? By the sword coming from his mouth that goes out. That's how he defeats him. So the five stones represent the word of God. He picks up five stones, not just, just to kill the Goliath, but Goliath had four brothers. David didn't, is not thinking he's going to miss. He is not thinking he's going to miss, and that's why he gathered five stones. This man is operating on faith, man, and he knows he's going to send one into this dude's head and then the other four if he has to. But the, like he said, he didn't miss the first one, did he? Did he miss the first one? No, he knew he wouldn't miss. This guy had been out on the on the ranch, so to speak, watching sheep to his whole life, and all day long he's slinging stuff. This dude's a sharpshooter, so he nails him. But the typology is no one would challenge Goliath. Remember that? No one would challenge him. No one will challenge the Antichrist. 
And so Messiah comes and challenges them and defeats them. It's, it's, it's the idea there. that, uh, And so a lot of David's life portrays Messiah in the typology of things. And I can go on and on. There's more, there's more typologies all embedded in the David and Goliath story. So when you do read that story, I would read it with fresh eyes of seeing the typology in there of the fight between um, Messiah and, uh, and the, uh, the Antichrist. It's very anticlimactic because you think it's going to be this great battle. And what does he do? He knocks him out, then slices his head off. It's just, it's very anticlimactic, isn't it? Right? And that's how the defeat of the Antichrist is. He, um, the, the Messiah appears, and out of his mouth comes the sharp double edged sword, and he melts him. And that's it. Just melts him and his armies, and that's it. And that's why there's so much blood there. There's a uh, 200 mile square of blood, about four or five feet deep. And the 200 mile squares is from Petra all the way to Jerusalem back and forth so you have this pool of blood a lake of blood basically from him melting people so it's very anticlimactic there's no fight really it's just boom you're done and so it's it that's really what the second coming does it's it's very anticlimactic they usually usually shoot um the christians in the head or they decapitate him. Mm -hmm. And then it comes back to the Antichrist. Who decapitates people. Mm -hmm. Do you know why That's people... That's what David did to Goliath. He decapitates him, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you know why? Why did they decapitate? Why is Antichrist going to decapitate? That's going to be the method of execution in the, in the tribulation is decapitation. Why? why? Why go decapitation? Why did David decapitate Goliath? Could have just stabbed them, but why did why you why do you decapitate somebody? That's permanent. There's no doubt it's permanent. You're going to make sure he's dead to show. Yeah, it does show something, but it's sending a message. What's the message, Leroy? Could you explain how this amount of blood could be so? massive i mean i know there's millions of people on the earth billions of people on the earth but are they all going to be there and be well, yeah, their blood actually run out to four feet deep two miles wide uh-huh because i take that literally uh the armies of the antichrist will be staged in uh in uh jezreel valley they will move then and encroach jerusalem and then the, uh, the other half of the army of the antichrist moves to to petra you also have the kings of the east that have moved over you have other armies moving and invading. And because uh, satanic uh, emissaries that are described as frog-looking types of emissaries have convinced the whole world to come there, armies. And so they have all staged in the Middle East around Israel. So there's got to be millions upon millions upon millions of armies. And then what happens is they see the procession of the second coming and they then pull the guns on Jesus is what they're really going to do. But just imagine just millions and millions of armies from all over the world, all over Israel. And so when he strikes them with his breath of his mouth, according to Zechariah 14, he melts them. And 
he melts them and he basically unmakes them basically. And they, and what, what are we typically made out of? We're made out of water. What would 90 something percent water, whatever it is. Well, then that liquid and obviously the blood, and then you end up with a 200 mile square, uh, four foot, five foot high lake of blood from these armies. And so it's, 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 it's amazing, but you, by the way, there's people that have done the calculations on it, like uh, Henry Morris and those types of guys who have studied that, and they've done. They're more scientifically oriented. They're like, oh yeah, there definitely would that be uh, that that kind of liquid if you just if you melted people like that, like he does, uh, into into liquid. He basically turns them into liquid blood. The corpses. To be more graphic, Zechariah fourteen says that they're, they're, before their corpses hit the ground, their eyes in their socket and their tongues in their mouth dissolve. And then that's the, that's the first thing to go, and then the rest of the body just melts like a candle. And it's just a lake of blood. So it's bad. And now I'm telling you what, the woke churches don't want to talk about that, that's for sure. Lakes of blood and people being melted and... Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. And actually, another passage, and I can't remember off the top of my head, um, there's electricity coming out of Messiah's hands at the same time, too. Uh, there's power. There's power coming out. So not only is he melting them, there's, there's power coming out of his hands, it says. And I can't remember the verse off the top of my head. I think it's Hosea, but I'm, I might be wrong. I'll have to find that and tell you next time. So imagine the Messiah coming out. He's speaking that in. And there's power coming out of his hands. It's a it's a quite a sight if you can imagine this. But that's how he destroys all the armies that are trying to kill him. Basically, they've turned the guns on Jesus. Terry, um, yeah, would it be the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes, that's the image I have always. That's the image I got. I just that's got. the image when, when, when he when the he arc. melts all of the, the melts Nazis. all of them. Yeah. That's the image. They melt like candles. You guys ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's that I always have that image in my mind. They open the ark and they all get melted, and uh, their eyes are just dropping down and stuff. Um, that's yeah, Terry. That's good. That's the image I'm thinking. But that's not. That's for that 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 doesn't sell well if you're in a woke church. Remember, you can't be telling people that oh, Jesus is going to melt them into blood. And oh my goodness, Brandon, that's not the Jesus I know. That's nice guy Jesus. I don't, that's bad guy. I, I've never heard of that. Where do you get that from? Well, because I read. <laughs> I'm serious. When you tell them that, they have no idea that's in scripture. No idea. They don't really know how bad it actually gets, um, but it gets pretty rough. And there's no doubt about it. And again, you look who he's, you know, he's slaughtering people that have rejected him and accepted the Antichrist. I mean, it's game over at that point, right? The time of grace is over. It's judgment time. Right. Oh, you never got back to the. What do you think it is, Dennis? Paul, you have an idea, but what is what is the symbolic nature of cutting someone's head off? Muslims do it. You kill a snake, you got to cut its head off, and yeah. once the head, God controls your breath and your life, but the the brain is in your head, and that's what controls the rest of your body. Plus, it's humiliation. It is. 
Any idea? He, he, you're right on target. You're you're getting there. You're getting there. That that's what I was thinking. It's the ultimate humiliation. It is. It is the ultimate humiliation. But it's 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 a messaging being used with the body. It humiliates the person. But decapitation in the ancient world meant that you have dehumanized them. They've ceased to even look human. You've taken their head off. So it's a the ultimate form of destroying the person made in God's image. When you decapitate, it's a spiritual thing. Now, Goliath is not made in God's image. So when David cuts his head off, it's, it's sending a different message. But when the enemies of God decapitate people like Islam or the Antichrist, it, it, what it signals is I am attacking the image of God in this person by decapitating him, not only humiliating them, but I'm dehumanizing them to the ultimate. And that's through decapitation. That's why Muslims do it. That's why the Antichrist will do it. It's the ultimate in attacking God is to attack his image. Which we're made in, right? Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the ancient world, and you'll see it come back. Yeah, it, I think that we need to make a movie with uh, Jesus coming down there and doing that, and then making it free for the whole world to see. And that's what they need to see. They actually need to see the truth yeah. about about the wicked and how. And then maybe, just maybe, I'm just saying. It might slap them in the face hard enough to, like, snap them out of it, you know? Because that's what the world needs right now is a big old slap in the face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they God, do need a big old slap. God bless America. <laughs> they need to wake up. But, but you know, I get it. And, and, and see, the thing is, I wonder how they would respond if someone really did a top-notch show and showed them really what happens at the second coming. I, I really wonder what they would say. I, I think they would be totally afraid. Um, but my thing is, we're... We can, yeah, we can do it, sure. Um, but the, the, the other thing, Jay, is the churches are not helping us because they, they, they portray Jesus uh, in a, a one way. And they don't portray him as God, justice, righteousness, king, all that stuff. And it's it, it puts us in a position always where we're defending that and we end up looking like the haters. And that's fine. We, we end up looking like mean people or whatever it is or bad people. But it's really the truth. I, I, I think if they really – even in the, even in the, the Gospels, if you took it for what Messiah is doing – it gives you a far different picture of Jesus than like what people portray him as. He is way different than this cotton candy messiah, um, flower picking, kind of hippie-ish. They portray Jesus kind of as a hippie, and I'm like, oh my goodness, every time I read it, man, it is, there's nowhere near that. He's nowhere near that, man. It's just, that, yeah, that might be. They don't know him. They, there's no balance to it. Yeah, God is love, of course. But then in these other passages, man, he's taking people to task. And he's in their dish. And he's not backing down. And it's like, whoa, 
And I don't know how they portray that stuff in some of these cotton candy churches. I mean, I don't know. It is what it is, but um, it's not an accurate picture of Jesus, obviously. Um, I, and I think, I think that's on purpose because it, then Satan's counterfeit to that would be to show a partial picture of Jesus, right? A partial picture of him to where you, if you don't have an accurate picture, you think he's, well, boys will be boys, you know, and you're just, I, we all just love one another and you're cool and I'm cool. You'll get to heaven. Don't worry. Uh, that's what's being sold. And it's, it's really jacking up Christianity in America. It's, How much of this that's going on now would be different if people were really trying to were trying to portray the the real Christ instead of the nice guy? Do you think this we'd be in the situation? I know what eventually would happen. We yeah. wouldn't have lost the culture. We would not have lost the. I think the compliancy of Christianity is what led to us being persecuted because we sat back so long with like you know, that mamby pamby thing you talked about. Well, it's not even just sitting back. They joined them, Bill. It, it, yeah, there's a bunch of churches that sat back and said, well, you know, it'll all get better one day. It's, you know, and they, they sat on the sidelines and did nothing. The problem was it was the churches that joined the world and, and, and started taking on those aspects and talking like that. You know, and this has been going on for 50 years in the church. But, you know, you, we shouldn't be surprised that 56 percent of the church believes in gay marriage. Well, I can point out the denominations that were were all in support of uh, gay uh, gay agendas and stuff back in the 70s and then the 80s happened. And and so it was a long trail to get here, but the churches didn't fight. They joined the other side. They weren't so they weren't fighting and then the other ones, you know, they were acting like they were in a cocoon because the other thing that happened in the 80s bill is the church growth movement happened. And the new trend from Rick Warren and C. Peter Drucker and all these other joy boys were saying, look, we need to be seeker friendly. Let's dumb everything down to a second grade level in our teachings. We won't tell anything that scares people. We won't talk about politics. We don't talk about current events or anything like that. We'll become pietists, uh, pietists. And what they did is they sacrificed truth, Bill, for numerical growth that, and money. Nickels and noses. And so they knew what not to say. They actually self-edited what they were saying in the pulpit to get bigger crowds and get more money. That's what happened. And I hate to tell you that's the dirty truth. That's the dirty truth in Kern County. I'm sorry. It is what it is. I know the game they played. And they shut their mouths and they let it happen because they just want the biggest church in the world and they just want all the money coming in. That's all it happened. They sacrificed that. So bill they either remain silent because of money or they actually join them so now we have people uh putting their kids in in these private schools with you know let me show, show you the story and they they ask our parents what church are you from rock harbor <gasps> they gasp but they gasp because that's the same pastor that got up in front of his church and said, you all need to apologize for your wokeness and your white privilege. So I, I welcome that kind of, you know, they don't like me. Yeah. You're, you're woke. You got up there and made everyone try to bow a knee and say they were, they were, uh, they need to repent of their white privilege. I will take that criticism as a compliment from you. But, Bill, that's the kind of churches we have here. Amen. 
these guys are calling us out. Like we're doing something wrong. I'm like, you're the, you're the dummy practicing wokeism. That's here. That's here. And it's intentional. And you left it. Where am I at? Yeah. Paul, go for it. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, that Pharisees told Jesus, show us a sign and we'll believe. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's this culture. If you made this movie, you, they're still not going to believe. If they're going to believe, they're going to believe and they're going to be touched by the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a change in their life. But if, he ha if you have to go through all these signs and all this, someone sharing their testimony should be enough to be see enough. a life conversion yeah. in the Word of God for someone to believe. Yeah, so you shouldn't have to go through all these gymnastics with people today. Um, but they do it, Paul, because they're not looking for sheep. They're looking for entertaining goats. Do you remember you put up a, uh, a segment talking about all the churches, how they were planning all this stuff and how they were changing all these pastors, getting them all into this, this wokeism enemies within the church. Yeah. Yeah. That movie. Yeah. And it just tells it. And what I can't see is why do they fear us? If we, if we know the truth, they have more fear that we know the truth or they're just hiding from the truth. Well, I mean, look, okay, let me, let me answer this. Uh, I want, I'm going to be very careful what I'm saying. They are afraid, like Jesus said, of being exposed in the light. He says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And for fear that those deeds will be exposed. So what you represent, what all you guys represent is you represent light trying to expose something. And that's why they don't like you. That's why they're afraid of you in many senses. So when you watch the Kern High School District Board get railed on the other night and those toads just sit up there and you know good and well what anyone is saying, they're not going to do anything because they're just following the state. No matter of impassioned pleas to those toads will do anything to change them. But what do they not want? They want they don't want you exposing them, but even though you are, and at the end of the day, you're bringing light to it. They don't care if you're exposed many in many times because I don't know they 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 think they're going to be protected in their wokeism or whatever it is and. and and so in one sense, they hate you. In one sense, they don't like you because you expose things. Why, that's why, why do the other pastors in town don't like me? Because I expose them. Because I tell, I tell them what they're doing, and I know the game they're playing. They can't hide it from me. And that's the same thing with these public officials, these board members. They know there's people that know what their game they're playing. They think everyone else doesn't see it. But what is it about? Power, money, prestige. It's all. Sorry. I had to go off. You talk about exposing pastors. I recently was in a convalescent home for 100 days, and my former pastor came to visit me, and he wanted to know where I was fellowshipping at. And Brock Harbor Church, I was very excited. And he said, oh, that murdering church, the one that murders their congregation? Yeah. And he went, and because, yeah, yeah. blew me away. 
Yeah. Yeah, the one that murders everybody, right? Because we continued to meet during that time. Yeah, because we continued to meet. We don't. COVID, guys. We were murdering people because we wouldn't stop services. Hey, that's a good compliment. I'll take that. I'll take that, right? But see, I'm telling you, that's how the local churches are because we are exposing them. You cowards. You cowards. And so the only thing they can do to respond is, oh, you guys are the murdering church. You want to kill people and grandma and because of COVID. And all that. That's all they got left, guys. All they have. That's all they have. Just attack. Just attack. But we all know now the stats are coming out. We all know that, 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 what, what, that the lockdowns didn't work. We all know. I wonder if they're going to apologize to their congregations for what they did. Sorry, guys. We're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> I think they need to retire and go sell insurance, what they need to do. Pastor, thank you for taking my question. Did that uh, make sense? Just cutting just, off the heads thing. Yeah, no, okay. that was that was nice. I like that one. <laughs> I, I wish I knew the answer, though. And so anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going a different deal here. Um, help me to understand the. Um, the path of the false prophet, right? Now, I believe that he's given the power to call lightning down from the sky, correct? Yeah, power. And so knowing that he has the power to do that, knowing that in the Gog and Magog war, the real Magog and Gog war, um, Jesus calls down lightning from the sky and destroys Israel's enemies. Is there a possibility of a false Magog and Gog war that deceives the Jews and the entire world? A false one? Yes. I don't know, man. I I think my best answer for that would be when Gog of Magog does come, I think the Antichrist and false prophet will try to take credit for it. Because if they can do those kinds of things, they say, hey, we did that to you guys. It wasn't God. It was us. I think that would be my answer is that they will, because they have that kind of power, they can say we did it when it really was God. That's, that's my best answer on that one. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, they've, because they, they, immediately after that, Israel gets into a, a covenant and according to Isaiah, it's for military protection. So it's got to, it's got to convince at least the leaders of Israel to say, well, maybe he did, maybe he, they did help us and we got to get into a covenant with this guy. I don't know, but yeah, you're, I think you're onto something on that one. Where am I at? Chat. So going back to the, you know, improperly depicting Christ when, um, like even on the cross, when, you know, in Love, Passion of the Christ, I think Mel Gibson, he did as good a job as he could. But I I was listening to a message and, and he and the pastor was saying that, you know, it's what Mel Gibson did falls woefully short to how it really went down. It would be like taking Christ's flesh off his bones throwing it in a blender and then throwing them back on his bones. That's how severe it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and you could only probably go so far with that. Uh, most people didn't survive the uh, cat of nine tails after that. You, they usually died after the cat of nine tails. I just wanted to say that uh, knowing that we are, you know, leading by example, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a, uh, it's important that we all, like try to do the best we can to uh, be meek. You know what I'm saying? Because 
it is a, a time to shine for Jesus. So like when we go out there and invite people to our church and tell them the truth, it's like they, a lot of them don't know the truth. So I've been inviting them all. I said, come over here. It's like a slap in the face. You guys need to hear it. It's the truth. You can go over there and you can, but just after that, come on over, you know, get some, <laughs> get, a, get a dose of the real truth and medicine that, you know, that'll set you straight. And cause I, I've been a church hopper for a long time and I've committed myself here for the first time and since 2007 to any church. And, uh, but I, I'm still a Jesus freak. So I do like, you know, jump up and down for Jesus. So <laughs> I'm just, you know what I'm saying? It's like, Hey, that's church ed- ethics or church etiquette. You know what I'm saying? But I liked it when the Jewish folks came and we were doing little hot laps up and down the aisle. So <laughs> hot laps. God bless America. Hallelujah laps. All right. Um, let me go on to this. Uh, I think got, my clicker got stuck. Okay. Okay. So then let's then move to Satan's work in the life of the Messiah. Um, Oop, I didn't finish that one. Sorry. Let me go back. Okay, so we have the conflict prophesied. We talked about that. Then we have Satan's attempt on the life of the Messiah. And that was seen, obviously, in uh, Herod's uh, decree to kill all the babies under two years old in, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 2. That's picked up in Revelation 12 as and, and John reinstates that and to show you how that that Herod was not working alone that the satanic realm was working through Herod to kill Messiah so it is bigger than just a man trying to do this it was a satanic attack on the Messiah and of course you know the story of how the Lord rescued him through that they went to Egypt and they finally came back after Herod's dead then what you start seeing is when Messiah enters his ministry, he is put to a test. And the test, obviously, is to tempt the Messiah to see if he can sin. Now, the whole test is to show that Messiah cannot sin, right? But it it is the same test that Adam and Eve went through, or particularly Adam as the first Adam. Now, the second Adam will be put through the same test. As even Adam went through the same test, there's three areas of temptation, like I talked to you about. It's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. That's what Adam and Eve were hit. Now the second Adam comes and he's hit with the same area and categories of temptation. Now, here's my question to you. Why does Jesus then have to go into the wilderness to be, to be uh, tempted? Why did he go into the wilderness? Because there's spiritual lessons here that you have to understand in the spiritual realm. You got, we get a mic for Dr. Mensing. The studies show <clears throat> show that the longer you fast, the more your spiritual insight. That's good, right? Fasting is a big deal. And if you listen to Dr. Mincing on the radio, it does wonders for you, not only physically, but spiritually, right? Puts you in tune with a lot of things. So he's fasting, and he's in the wilderness. He's alone, okay? He's being put in a vul- very vulnerable position, okay? Um, remember... The wilderness represents something. The 
wilderness represents where the demons are. It's a waterless place. And Jesus said when a demon goes to look to inhabit, it looks and avoids basically water, water places. It looks for desert climates. So all, all along the, um, uh, the, the Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan is major desert. And like I told you, when you go in, into Jordan and you go into the, the Rift Valley there um, in Jordan, you're in the Valley of the Travelers. Okay, the Valley of the Travelers is a very, very demonic place. In fact, the ancients believed that that was the gates of Hades. And then it got centered into Beneas Falls, and they called that the gates of Hades. But, but Beneas Falls up there uh, in the tribe of Dan is next to the Valley of the Travelers on that side. Okay, So the wilderness area is where tons of demonic activity were happening. The ancients knew it. It was all part of it. This is why Moses, uh, remember I told you last week, Moses' body is contended by Satan uh, right there on Mount Nebo, which is located right next to the Valley of the Travelers. Okay, It's a very satanic area. Okay, So anyway, um, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Going into the wilderness means I'm going into an area that has high demonic activity. And of course, who does he meet? Satan, right? That's who he meets. So you notice where the temptation happens. It comes in a, a privation, a privation area. And there's no water or anything like that. There's nobody there. And so one of the things that you have to understand is there's a reason for this. As Adam is tempted in the best of the conditions, Messiah is put in the worst of the conditions. You see that? You see the contrast between him and Adam. Adam had the garden, paradise. Jesus is in the wilderness. Okay. That being the case, then you're in a territory that high, has high demonic, satanic activity. So he's in there fasting 40 days, and, and then the first temptation comes. Okay. Turn this uh, rock into bread. Okay. So we know Jesus' response. He responds by the word of God, right? And we know, you know, man shall not live on bread alone. He's responding by the word of God. So you resist the devil by the word of God. When, when uh, I think as Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee, um, you resist him by the word of God. And you have to keep resisting, resisting, and resisting until it finally goes away. Okay, but here's what I want to get a capture. On the three temptations, and this is important for us to understand, what are, we know the categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But under that, what, under those categories, what particularly are they trying to get Jesus to do? Now, we know he's, you're trying to get him to sin, right? But what is the, what I'm trying to get at is what is the nature of the temptation? Okay, we, so we got him to bow down, Okay recognize authority of someone else. Yes, you got that. So think about the bread. Let's just stick on the bread. What's the bread? So we're, he's fasting 40 days. He's fasting. Break his fast. Okay, so you got it. So it's to satisfy basic need. Okay. 
But what's the spiritual truth there, though? It's to satisfy physical need. I get that. You get that, right? But what's the spiritual truth? Right? Man does not live by bread alone, but what? By every word of... Okay, but then does that mean he still isn't going to eat? What does that mean? What does that mean? So he's saying, I live by what God tells me to live by. So how does that, what God tells him to live by, related to bread? True. There's a link here. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but then what does he live by if he's going to live, if he's going to survive as a human being, eventually Jesus has to eat. Trust in what? Yes, I know that. Trust in what particular aspect of the Father? That what? No, not eternal life. Provision. Thank you. That he, I trust in his word. I live by his word. That's what I eat. Because I know he will provide when he decides it's right for me to eat. Ah, you see that. Okay, now, so when he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, what word is he trusting? Everything that God has said about his provision for his physical appetites. I will then wait however long I need to wait for my father to tell me when I can eat. Because he will provide. And if he wants to turn that, that rock into bread, he can do so all he wants. But I will wait on him. So what the temptation, the fundamental thing is that, that Christ is being tempted to is to not wait on God's provision, but start his own provision. Create his own provision. And boy, is that a temptation. You see, do you see the temptation that's going on? That goes to us. The temptation will be not to us turn this bread into uh, uh, rock into bread. It'll be don't trust God because what is the fundamental thing He said in the Garden of Eden? Remember, this is a repeat of the Garden of Eden. He was Satan was telling Adam and Eve, "Look, man, He's holding out on you. He doesn't love you enough. Otherwise, He would provide that you could eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." So somehow he's holding back on you. And look, I'm your guy, man. I, I, I'm, I want you to have the best. You can be like him if you eat. He's holding back on you in his provision. You see that where the catch is? He's holding back on you in his provision. For goodness sake, they could eat every tree except that one. But he's saying that yeah, because of that, that's a provisional problem. You, and so he tempts them to lack, or lack the faith in God's provision to make your own provision for your life. Now, do you see how relevant that is to you and I? So Satan's attack on you is, hey man, you better make your way in this life because he's not. You can't count on him. Look at He's coming up short on you. If he wanted to help you, he would give you more money. If he wanted to help you, he would fill your, your, your gas tank up, right? Well, how come he doesn't fill your gas tank up? Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, yeah. He's really not. He's kind of like a, the watchmaker, just wound it up and just let it go. But I'm right here to tell you, you better get it busy on your own, making your own provision. The minute you step over, you are now, you won't realize it, 
when you start providing for yourself and all of a sudden you don't trust in his provision, you trust in your own. That's the first one. What's the second? Let's go to the second one after that. Go ahead, Paul. I was just going to say he did the same thing with the vaccine and and he's doing trust the, the government thing. for their provision. I need guns to protect myself because God can't do that. I got to defend and do all these things like that. I gotta. So they, yeah, and they bow the knee to Fauci. Right. That, that God wouldn't provide in our bodies the ability to deal with that. And so I'm going to do what Fauci tells me to do. And therein lies where people are not trusting in God's provision, but trusting in the government's provision, which is exactly what they want. They want government to, be, to become a God to them that God will provide my, you know. So like I told you, the, the, the California city uh, is now saying if you're LGBT or transgender, you're going to get a, uh, uh, an income now we'll give you. Free money. And that free money is going to extend to other people and stuff. Well, we just give you a living wage. I know you can't make as much. We'll just give you a living wage. Oh, so then what happens? They start relying on the provision of the government rather than the provision of God. Bingo. It's got him. Second temptation. Power? What do you think? Is it a temptation for power? <clears throat> Get to the nitty gritty on it. <clears throat> Let me see if we get any clue here. Took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So on the very pinnacle right there on the top of the temple, and on, on the very top, so everybody could see him, okay? Um, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, and let, lest you dash your, your foot against a stone. What's the problem with that one? That's, a, you know, obviously a quote from uh, Isaiah. Or, I'm sorry, uh, the Psalms. Psalm 91. Okay, so you, you got that. It's a temptation. It's a, a tempting of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay, so you have it. That's, that's clear. It's a temptation to try to get God to do something for you when you, when you do something stupid. Right. That's that's really what Satan is aiming at, that you're going to you're you know, you're going to jump out of a, a, a airplane without a parachute. And you, you believe that God's going to rescue you because you have faith. That's called tempting the Lord to do when you do stupid things. OK, that's what he's tempting the, the Lord to do. But let's get more specific than that. OK, more specific. What he's quoting from Psalm 91. Is he correct in his interpretation that his angels will gather him up and carry him up and uh, walk on angels wings. He won't, he won't hit the ground. What is he doing with the word of God with Messiah? He's twisting it. Okay. So, so what is, so again, this comes to the temptation thing. What is Satan theoretically trying to do? See, because he knows Messiah wants to obey everything God says for him to obey. Satan is saying, it's thus says in Scripture, 
that God will rescue you if you jump off this temple. So let's see how your faith is, Jesus. You see what's going on here? He's testing Jesus, not just to tempt God, but do you really trust God? But what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, he is God, but you trust the Father, okay? Let's just define the Trinity a little bit more. So you're supposed to trust your Father on everything. You've submitted to your Father, right? Then submit to Psalm 91. Submit to Psalm 91 and throw yourself off. Let's see how much you trust him. Now, wait a second. You see how the, the, this temptation is, in, is, is focused in on the word of God and whether or not Jesus will obey the word of God or trust God, trust God the Father to do that. What's the problem? What is the problem? He is tempting him to do something with the word of God Michael, I was going to say that he, he's trying. Well, Satan's trying to d deceive him by twisting the word. But what he's ultimately the word. What he's ultimately trying to do is he's getting them to <clears throat> go out of the timing and the prophetic line of what God has ordained for Christ when to die. True. That's the second, third thing. Ah. So he, <laughs> dang, you got it. You're you're on to something. So he's quoting the scripture, and says, "Why don't you trust the scripture? Why don't you let's see." but he's misquoting the scripture. So what kind of game are we playing here? I will quote scripture to you, but then I will misquote it to see if you don't have, if you have an accurate view of it and know really what it says. Because if you don't know it, I will fool you with your own scripture. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Did God say? Right? So Messiah doesn't respond because Messiah knows that passage. And it doesn't say that you can throw yourself off the temple. It doesn't say that you can just toss yourself out there. That's not what Psalm 91 is saying. But Satan is saying, yes, that's what the scriptures mean. And so if that's what the scriptures mean, you better obey them. Oh, so how will that kind of temptation come to you? Well, it comes to you like this. If you don't know the scriptures, then he will play the scripture game with you. And says, thus saith the Lord, it's right there in the passage, it says that right here. Repent and be baptized and be saved. Why aren't you being baptized for being to be saved? You have to be baptized. It says it right there in Psalm, uh, sorry, Acts 2.38. Why are you not being baptized in order to be saved? And what's the problem? It, it doesn't. It doesn't. But if you don't know that, You'll create the Church of Christ. You'll create the Mormons. You'll create the Jehovah Witnesses and the Catholics who all believe you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You see the game? It, it's not just 
tempting the Lord. It's whether or not do you really know what it says? Because if you don't, I will play tricks with the scripture with you. You will think you're following God and you're actually not because you don't know the scriptures. He's testing whether or not you know the scriptures. And he'll mess them up for you. Did God say that? That's how he plays the game with you. And the only way you can play back is is you better know it. Because if you're saying, I don't know, if it said, does it really say that? Well, it was right there. Acts 2.38, it's right there. Oh my goodness, it does say that. I guess I got to be baptized in order to be saved, it says. But what's the problem? You don't know the context. You don't know the, the Jewish idiom. And you, you don't know what Peter's even aiming at. But you just look at the text, bare bones, and you have no idea. That's what he does to Christians all over the place. All over the place. They don't know the scriptures. So let, let's take another one uh, that's misused. Um, God won't give you more than you can bear. Thus saith the Lord. And many Christians believe that. But according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, we were almost, we almost died. We almost dead. He gave me more than I can handle. I was, I was messed up. But what does that passage say? Specifically, he won't give you more what than you can bear. Temptation. Oh. You see how cleverly the devil just took the word temptation out and he put trials in there. And that's what everyone seems to think it's about. He won't give you more trials than you can bear. Nope, that's not accurate. It's take out trials and it's temptation. And he will provide a way of escape through temptation, always. So notice how slight that is. It's just subtle, but it's enough to where slews of Christians will quote that and they think they're quoting scripture and they're actually not. Let's give me another one. Any other that comes to your mind? Yeah. That's right. Money is the root of all evil. What's the precise language say, though? The love of money. So when you don't interpret that, you'll take a vow of poverty and think you're being spiritual. Uh, see, I don't love money. I'm walking around with a barrel and, a, and straps. And I don't love money, so I'm real spiritual. Right? It's the love of money. Let me ask you this. Since now that we go back to the accuracy of loving money... Can a person uh, that who's poor love money? Yeah, can a rich person that love money? Yeah, can a middle class love money? Oh, that means if I put the, in the right word, then it blankets everybody. Versus money is the root of all evil. Well, then, oh, I guess rich people are evil. Allah the left, that's what the left say, right? You see how you can jack everything up? Just instantaneously taking a word out and substituting something else. That's the game Satan plays. So accuracy prevents you from being tempted from misreading the Bible. And you can go with a myriad of other issues. Okay, last, uh, last one. <clears throat> the third one. The devil took him up to a, the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Uh, oh, sorry, let me go back. It is written, um, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Okay. 
we know that Michael got this one right, right? The timing is wrong, okay? He is to inherit the kingdoms of the earth, but he has to be sacrificed first before the Father will give him those kingdoms. So there's a price to pay to get those and earn those back. That's Revelation 5. That's the scroll. The scroll in Revelation 5 is earth's title deed that Adam lost. So in order to get that back, the sacrifice had to be made, and now he is worthy to take that over. Remember, John says, I looked for everybody, and no one could was worthy to take the scroll except him. Okay, so there's a timing element. Satan could give him the kings because he's the god of this world, but he, and he's a usurper. So the sacrifice has to happen. So one of the principles is, in order to be exalted, you, you, you have to go through sacrifice first. You have to be brought low before you're exalted, and, and you'll never get past that principle. Okay, that's at that aspect, but then let's drill down on what the nature of the temptation is. I'll give you all the kingdoms if you bow a knee to me. So Satan wants worship, no doubt about that, right? He wants God to worship him, and that would be, in, a, in essence, God worshiping him if Jesus bowed a knee to him in order to get the kingdom. So you've got that, and, and worship the Lord your God and him only. Okay, good. You know that. But then what is the deeper issue? Worship me. Who is Satan? He was a covering cherub. That makes him what compared to God? He is a what? He's a spirit being, but he was what? Created. He's a creature. And this creature wants the creator to worship him, the creature. So the temptation that you and I will get is worship the creation rather than the creator. That's the, temp that's the nature of the temptation. That's his world, right? So, so yes, it's to, you see the understanding of getting out of timing with God and, and the kingdom, but the real temptation that, that, that the heart of this is I, Satan's job is I want you to worship the creation. And what happens when you do that, according to Romans 1? When you don't worship the creator and you worship the creation, what starts happening in you? Stay neutral. You lose your mind. You go crazy. Your heart becomes darkened. Your mind becomes nonsensical. You lose common sense. And all of a sudden, you start acting in weird ways, all kinds of immoral ways. And the first sign of it is the person turns into lesbianism and homosexuality. That's when you see someone has lost their minds, according to Romans 1. Oh, so behind the LGBT movement started with the worship of creation. That's what sent them in that direction. Where am I at? I don't, I don't think this is it now, but I was thinking before that it was a, because Christ promises to give us what Satan forfeited, so I thought he was trying to do a counterfeit. He is. He is. What do you mean by that, though? Because he he because that's what he wanted. What Christ promises us. Yes, 
So I thought that was, maybe I'm not quite putting the dots together, but I thought that counterfeit was the temptation in some way. Well, it is. It is in, in that in in the element of the temptation. The counterfeit is to take the kingdoms um, without sacrifice. That would be the counterfeit to that. Is that you can have the kingdoms without paying the price for them? Um, that would be the counterfeit aspect. But on the other aspect, what I'm getting at is I'm trying to get at the root core of what is the temptation surrounding the, the temptation surrounding worship the creation. And so there's there's multifaceted elements, but but I want to start with the basic. What is it? So therefore, as you see, the three temptations, you're like, because you can't relate to, you know, a temptation being given to you know, like Messiah. Those those Satan knew what he was doing. Satan will come to you and tailor make those temptations for whatever it will be for you. But worshiping. Uh, are, are providing for yourself, misunderstanding the scripture, and worshiping creation will be at the very heart of when he comes at you. Make your own provision. Look, look what hey, look at the look at the vaccine. Okay, what was that? People say I don't. Yeah, it was fear. Yes, fear, but it drove them to take something to provide for themselves, and it's untested. Uh, you know, they didn't know anything, but they're going to do it because I'm creating provision for myself. I'm going to put a mask on and think that makes me, uh, I'm providing my health. That's really what it's about instead of looking to God to provide. Right? That's, that you can, you can see those core issues right there. And instead of, of, of trusting God's word or trusting him as the creator, they trusted the creation. What, who was the creation? Uh, CDC, FDA, or what, whoever, Fauci. You see how it, it all got mixed up into that. You can trace it all, all the way back through that. They even use scripture. And, and Paul, you nailed it because the scripture they misunderstood was Romans 13. Right? We're going to be at the government's. Did God say just to blanket the governments? Did God say that, Mr. Pastor, who's going to get up there in your wokeness and say, obey the state? So apparently those pastors apparently don't know the details of that passage. Because if they did, they would say, I'm not complying. Ah, do you see where the temptation happened? They didn't know the word of God that well. They didn't know. And hence, they, they kept lockdowns and they took money. It's right in front of your face. Right in front of your face. It happened. Um, I emailed a pastor when they were saying that that's, you know, due to Romans 13. That's <laughs> and I said, well, what if the apostles had done that? I mean, Rome told them not to go disciple, right? I said, so what would have happened if they had obeyed the government? Well, there, there, there wouldn't have been, you know. The, what was their response? I wonder. Yeah. Um, I was kind of ignored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course, you're going to be ignored because you're probing too deep. Just t do what we say. It's a mentality. Anyway. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.